Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by the game Best Fiends. Researching for this show can, on some days, get a little heavy. And while I love doing it, sometimes I need a little break. That's when I pull out my phone and launch my favorite palate cleanser, Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a fun and casual game filled with engaging puzzles to keep your brain entertained. Right now, I am on level 404 and loving the new challenges, which update monthly along with new levels so you never lose interest and never get bored. You can connect and play with friends from all over and create a fun little challenge of your own. My family has recently started its own challenge and it's the perfect way to have fun and stay connected while still social distancing. Best Fiends doesn't require the internet so your gameplay won't be interrupted. My favorite time to play is just before bed. I get cozy underneath a blanket, turn down the lights, and play a couple levels to wind down before drifting off to sleep. It's honestly one of my favorite parts of the day. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Remember, that's friends without the R. Best Fiends. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... 
Morning. Divorces are messy. By now, we've done a number of stories centered around how one reacts to an impending divorce. This one is no less horrific. On January 29th, 2009, a man took the quest for revenge a little too far. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Arthur Freeman had it all. He studied computer science, got an IT job at RMIT University's aeronautics campus in the 1990s, bought Ford Escorts and prepared them for racing, and at the end of the decade, met a woman climbing her own corporate ladder of success named Peta Barnes. The pair fell madly in love, moved into a home in Richmond, Australia, and the computer man chose to marry his bride while ringing in the new millennial and Y2K on December 31st, 1999. A job upgrade sent them to London shortly after their wedding, and in 2002, they welcomed their first child, a boy named Benjamin Eric. In 2004, a daughter named Darcy Iris and in 2006, added son Jonathan Jackson William to their mix. In June of 2006, just before getting his permanent residency in Britain, Arthur decided to move his family back to Australia. You see, despite the outward appearance of success, the Freeman family was struggling. Arthur in particular. He was struggling to get a new job, suffered some major mood swings, and put a lot of strain on his marriage that ended up completely falling apart in March of 2007. They were officially divorced by June of 2008, after which Arthur announced he was intending to move back to Britain. Now, this was a bit of an issue because, up until this moment, he and Peta had three days on, three days off shared custody, which, if he moved a 22-hour plane right away would become completely impossible. So Peter went back to court to try and alter their arrangement. And this sent Arthur over the edge, and and he returned home to try and get his own legal representation to fight for custody. A hearing with the federal magistrate's court was set for January 27th through the 28th of 2009, but dictated that the family needed to meet with a psychologist beforehand so they could determine which parent was the right choice for primary custody. Arthur had his appointment on December 12th, arrived late, and kept interrupting when other family members were being interviewed. If he was trying to prove that he was the more stable parent, he was doing a poor job. Their report stated that Arthur had chronic personality and interpersonal problems that are caused by a tendency to irrationality, contradiction, and denial of responsibility. But in the end, the psychologist saw that he was still a loving father and recommended that the children remain with their mother and see their father on alternate weekends. Despite the more than fair ruling, Arthur became undone. And when Peta called her ex-husband to speak to her children on the evening of the court ruling, he said they would have to call her the next morning while he took Darcy to her first day of school. Peta would, unfortunately, never get to speak to her daughter again. The next morning, Arthur loaded all three of his children, Ben, now six, Darcy, four, and Jack, two, into his car and took them back into Melbourne under the guise of taking Ben and Darcy to school. Instead, he called Peta, who was at the school waiting for them, told her to, quote, say goodbye to your children, parked his car in the emergency lane near Westgate Bridge's highest point, picked up Darcy, and threw her off the edge where she plummeted for about 262 feet. 
As they drove away, six-year-old Ben, who would later say his father looked as though he was in a trance, pleaded with him to go back, that Darcy didn't know how to swim. Arthur Freeman drove straight to the Commonwealth Law Courts complex and attempted to hand over his two-year-old son, Jack, to security staff. He was arrested that same day in the complex. Friends of Arthur's would later say that, in the hours following the custody hearing, he felt as though he had lost his children. That, for some reason, this seemed like his only option to get revenge on the woman who was taking them away from him. On CCTV footage, you can see Ben, clad in his school uniform, pulling at his father's arms and waist, trying to stop him from taking Darcy to the bridge's edge, while Jack, wearing only a diaper, hides behind his legs. Arthur Freeman pled not guilty to Darcy's murder and said he was mentally impaired at the time of the incident. The defense continued to argue that, because he was suffering from a major depressive disorder, that it was highly probable that he was in a disassociative state when he pulled Darcy from the car, almost like sleepwalking. He claimed he had no recollection of what he did that day, but did accept that he was responsible because so many people had recounted the events to him. After five days of deliberation, a jury of seven women and five men found Arthur guilty of murder. After the verdict was read, given the horrific things they had to hear and see, the judge excused the jurors from having to serve again for another 10 years. When he gave the ruling, four of the female jurors burst into tears. Arthur Freeman, at the age of just 37 years old, was sentenced to life in prison plus a non-parole period of 32 years on April 11, 2011, for the murder of his four-year-old daughter. When the guards tried to take Arthur into custody, he backed himself into a corner and accused one of his in-laws of being implicated in a West Australian diamond theft and federal police phone taps. In the end, Darcy Freeman was a girl who lost her life because of a custody battle and her father's need for revenge, whether it be consciously or subconsciously. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on January 30th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.